Uh, so today we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Uh, that text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. And uh, uh, if, if you've been coming here uh, over the last year, you know that what we're doing this year of our 25th anniversary uh, is we're doing this uh, liturgy project where we uh, take texts from all over the scriptures that reflect uh, the life of Christ and the mission of the church along with the, the church calendar. And so today we have uh, this text, First Timothy 6, um, 6 through 19, which is a really long passage of the Bible. Those of you who worship here regularly know that I, I don't typically preach like this. I might actually, this is a lot of words, a lot of words. And um, I, I like sometimes to preach on one word. And so, um, so this pr- presents, uh, some challenges about, you know, how to, how to deal with this. So, um, a lot of words, not going to cover every single bit of this text today, but it is a good text, a hard hitting and comforting text for us today. Uh, the second thing is, uh, really like that song that Becca taught us, uh, uh, before uh, the sermon, I don't know if you listen. You know, maybe maybe you're like the old American grandstand people. You didn't pay much attention to what you sang, but you know it had a good tune and you could dance to it. That's what uh, <laughs> that's what they used to say on the, back a hundred thousand years ago when I was a teenager. Uh, uh, back when people played records on these these black discs that music came from and you put a needle on it, believe it or not. So, um, although I hear that's making a comeback, um, but that was, that would be a a great prayer for us, uh, before we read the word this morning and, and hear what God uh, has to say to us. And then the last thing before I pray is, uh, I, uh, as the child of a farmer and someone who grew up, uh, uh, far from the city and the country, uh, you may not be aware of this and you may not find this something worthwhile to pray about, but I think we should pray for rain. Uh, just because, uh, you know, not because any of y'all got crops that are failing and, uh, you might not, uh, you might not make it, uh, if, if that happened, but I, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that rain's a blessing from God. Uh, and it's also a picture to us of the, uh, uh, work of the spirit, uh, being poured out on us. And so I think it would be a good thing to pray for some rain. So, uh, um, so I'm going to do that, uh, do that this morning as well. So let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you today for, uh, the truth of your scriptures. And we thank you that, uh, you use the silly thing that we do every week, as Paul says, the foolishness of preaching, um, to, uh, and Lord, you know, the foolishness of preaching by a fool, that in a weird and mysterious but yet powerful way, you, you use that uh, to uh, change, shape, direct, comfort, and challenge your people. So we're grateful for that today. Would you do that again uh, this morning uh, as we gather here? Lord, we uh, remember uh, to pray today for many uh, in our congregation who are sick, suffering, and even dying. Uh, You know them, you see them, and you're with them. And Lord, today we ask you, would you bring us some rain? Um, We uh, see the hardness 
and the dryness of the ground around us. And uh, where that reminds me of the dryness and the hardness of hearts. And just as the rain falls and softens that and brings green life to the desert, you do that as well to hard-hearted human beings like us. So would you do that, we pray? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So 1 Timothy uh, 6, verses 6 uh, through 19, uh, this text is up on the bulletin and uh, uh, also uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So uh, you may be thinking this morning, maybe you were listening when we were reading that, maybe you were actually reading along, and, and you read in this text and you think, oh, great, another one of those Bible texts about uh, me being rich and uh, me being uh, uh, finding the necessity to be generous and to be careful about the love of money. Um, and I don't, I don't know where, what you think about that. Uh, I uh, believe that uh, every one of us struggles with coveting, an unbridled desire for something that you don't have or more of something that you want more of. I believe that the human heart, uh, more so than falling into sin because of bad theology or, or bad thinking, falls into sin because of disordered and uh, wrong desires or uh, uh, too much desire for good things that become a replacement for, for God. And so one of the things that I know to be true is that... Uh, Uh, Money, as I wrote at the front of the bulletin, is an easily uh, measurable kind of thing that we can look at, put our hands on, see, feel, created thing that we know that if we have a lot of it, we are more likely to be safe, secure, and content 
And if we don't have very much of it, we are likely to be insecure, unsafe, and discontent. Um, it's a funny thing, and it's, a, it's an odd thing to talk to this congregation about money. And let me give you some illustrations about why that is. Some bigger cultural things, but also some things that are unique to us. One is, I read this week that for the first time, well, the, the median household income in America today is higher than it's ever been. It's in the mid-60s. Now, median, you know what median is? That means there are as many below that number as there are above that number. It's not an average. It's, that's, you know, that's, that's the middle. And so, uh, which is kind of interesting, uh, which sounds good on the one hand, seems like, you know, things are good. The problem with that, when adjusted for inflation, you're about where you were 20 years ago. Okay. So that's a, that's an odd place to be, right? That's a, that's a kind of a, a weird kind of economic piece of data that's going on. Uh, in our culture right now. Couple with that, with what does it mean to be poor in America? And what does it mean to be poor in America today? Uh, Because the fact of the matter is, uh, 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 many people in America who are poor, that we would identify as poor, are richer by far than almost anybody who has lived on this planet uh, before. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But just the, I'll give you an illustration of that. I, I meet with a group of guys on, on Friday mornings, and one of our, our guys had spent a big part of the summer uh, working for Nike out in Oregon, and he was telling me, we were talking about this Friday morning, and he was talking about being out and about going for a run and running uh, through town under a bridge and seeing a guy who lives under the bridge in Portland, Oregon, watching Netflix on his phone. Now, I don't even know. I don't have categories for that, right? I don't. I don't even. I don't even know. How, I don't even know how to think about that. It, that is a. Uh, what is that? I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess living under a bridge is better than living in a refrigerator box. That's where, that's what my mom always warned me that I was going to end up in uh, if I didn't straighten up and work a little harder. But uh, yeah, so, but maybe he's happy. He's got his bridge, he's got his Netflix, and he's got his phone, right? So um, anyway, I just think, I just think that's profound. But a more personal thing here among us, and this is one of the things that's hard for us to talk about. Years ago, I was talking to a guy who was struggling with his relationship with the church and particularly with people in the church. And he was complaining to me and I was trying to help him work it out. And uh, one of the things that I said to him, partially, I will confess out of frustration was, well, maybe it's hard for you to connect with people because you're rich and the people you're connecting with aren't rich. And maybe there's just, you're just missing each other because of that. And he's like, I am not rich. And I'm like, you live in a million dollar house without a mortgage. I don't care. That's not rich. I know plenty of people who have more than me. And so being the jerk that I am, I said, 
I challenge you to look me in the eye right now and tell me you're poor. And he did it. Amazing. Amazing. Right? So, so our kind of relationship with stuff, with money, with contentment, with discontentment, with living or, or, or not living very well with unfulfilled desires is a big driver in the, in, in the scriptures, a big driver in the gospel, a big driver of the whole narrative of, of, of what God is doing and has been doing with people since the very beginning of time. So, uh, and one of the things that it's important for us to unpack today as we look at this is, you know, I believe that one of the things that gives, uh, certainly this text is the authoritative word of God and God inspired it. God uh, breathed it for us. Uh, it's written by an apostle, uh, the apostle Paul. But one of the things that I think is, uh, that makes this uh, text even more uh, real in a sense, more applicable to me is because I believe the man who wrote this text struggled with coveting all his life. He struggled with discontentment all his life. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived, the, the, the guy who planted all those churches, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he had no struggles. <laughs> he, 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 he was never tempted, right? Well, let's look at a few of the things that, that he, he said. Let's put, put my notes up there. So, one, one of the things, I think he had struggles and concerns about desire, coveting, and contentment. Because in Romans 7, when he's talking about his struggle with sin, one of the things he says is, what then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. In other words, Paul, as a Pharisee, thought he was great, righteous, doing everything right, keeping the law. He didn't murder. He didn't steal. He believed he worshiped God. He kept the Sabbath. He did all those things, right? For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So out of all the Ten Commandments, which one does he pick as the one that broke him? Coveting. That's the one. And, 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 that, and what's profound about that is, is all of you are doing it right now. All of you have done it today and no one else knows maybe. Coveting is one of those things that goes on inside of us, right? It, it oozes out of our pores and out into our, our behavior every now and then. But for the, for the fact, for the most of us, you could be sitting here right now looking across the room at someone and hating them, coveting their children, their clothes, their shoes, their husband, their wife, their life, their house, their vacations. <laughs> right? Right? Their, their spirituality even, they're so much more spiritual than you are. Or their gifts, their talents, right? So you shall not covet, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Suddenly he becomes aware that all over his life, wherever he is, he's coveting these things that God has not given him. He has an unwarranted desire. He has, he has a desire for the, for these things that kind of overwhelm him. And this coveting drives him to be, if you're coveting all the time and you're given over to coveting, by definition, you're not content. And by definition, you're particularly not content 
with the circumstance, the gifts, the things that God has given to you. And therefore, your problem is not so much with what God, with your, your friends and neighbors, but with God, because he's not doing what you want him to do. And your contentment is based not on who God is and what he's done for you in Christ or even the provision, the physical provision that he's making for you now. Your your sense of him is based on I will not be content until I get that, whether that is a number or a thing or a person. Right. So it is a it's a this is something I think that went on in Paul a lot. And you can read through his his body of work in the New Testament. He speaks to this issue quite often. Uh, he struggled with with what it meant to be content. He struggled with how to settle his heart in those things. And and it was a lifelong, I think, struggle that the Lord worked on him to be able to cause him near the end of his life to talk very directly about what it meant to be content. Right. Next slide. So his his counsel in this uh, passage to Timothy boils down to just a couple uh, uh, a couple of things. The first one is on the way to help us to get to contentment is in the supreme challenge of life, money is useless. Did you hear that in the text? Let me read that for you to you again. Uh, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. What's the supreme test of life? It's death. Right. You can be a zillionaire. A quadrillion zillionaire. And you when you die, it doesn't buy you anything. It doesn't get you any standing before God. It doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't it doesn't get you a better place in heaven. Uh, real estate. You know, there's not there in, in, in God's new heavens and new earth is not you, you can't buy it. What is it they used to say? There's no like uh, uh, moving van or uh, armored car going, you know, going behind hearses or whatever. Right. So the biggest challenge you're ever going to find in life is is your death. And, and what happens to you after your death? That is the thing that settles you for eternity. That is the thing that determines so much about you. And all the money in the world is no help at all. None. Useless. Sure is nice to have now. <laughs> right. But. On that thing, the thing that matters the most, money is worthless. And in fact, it, it may not only be worthless, it might actually be detrimental. We'll see how that works. Uh, secondly, he says that the love of money is perhaps the most dangerous thing to your soul. I mean, these are strong words that he says here. Uh, those who desire to be rich who who desires to be rich you can't admit it in front of your friends um but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction how ironic because if you're rich that's supposed to insulate you from ruin and destruction. But the fact is a focus upon that and a love of that might actually be the thing that leads to your destruction. Wow. 
That, that, that's, a, uh, that's a shocking, uh, shocking thing, right? So desire to plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All for a little bit of money, right? So the, the reason for this is why is this such a dangerous thing? Well, the love of money, the desire for those things, desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. In other words, until I reach this number or until I reach this relationship or until I, I reach this thing, until I get this, until I have this thing, until it comes to me, until, till I, till I have that, I cannot be content. Now, there's a difference between living with an unfulfilled desire. That is the the story of of many of the old saints, many of the saints in the scriptures of living with unfulfilled desires. We live with those unfulfilled desires. We will live with them until the day we die. But there's a difference between lamenting over those unfulfilled desires, crying out to God in the midst of those unfulfilled desires, but making the... uh, acquisition of those desires, making the fulfillment of those things, the condition of your contentment in God, the condition of your ability to rest in who God is and what it is he is doing for you and doing in you. And so money, it seems like that will buy us some contentment. Money might buy us these things, might give us a sense of worth or value or a sense of security, right? Secondly, are losing our contentment in God so that we start to seek it elsewhere. If God's not given me what I want, then I can't trust him. I can't find my contentment in him. So it must be in money or in, in, in uh, fertility or in uh, getting a spouse or uh, getting a, uh, a newer home or, or whatever your, your particular thing is. And so the, the thing about it is, Money is a gift from God. It is a way he supplies our needs. It is a way that he makes ministry happen. But our relationship to it, our heart's desire, our overwhelming desire about that will lead us to places where we find our contentment in that and not in Christ. It's such a crazy thing, right? Because I know that you and I are tempted to believe if I just had this much Everything would be fine. Right? Uh, When we were in the doctor's office for our ultrasound to find out why our baby about to be born was not moving, and they did the ultrasound and they could tell he was dead, our reaction to that, immediate reaction to that was, get him out. Fix him. That's what you do. You're the expert. You have the gifts. You have the ability. You should be able to do that. We trust you to do that. Well, that's the same way we feel about if I just had enough, I can insulate myself against devastation. When in fact, your desire, your overwhelming desire for security and things, created things, money being the one in this text, might be the thing that ultimately leads you down a path of spiritual destruction. 
So, so this is a pretty, pretty direct and, and, and straightforward challenge to us uh, to, to think about that. So Paul says then that there are three ways primarily to flee these things. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, right? And you flee them by pursuing, instead of your contentment and money, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, what he's saying here is that we want to pursue by faith those things that Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us his righteousness, his love, his steadfastness. He gives to us his gentleness. He gives to us his godliness, right? And we pursue those things. And how do we pursue them? By fighting the good fight of the faith. In other words, we take hold of those things by believing, by trusting and entrusting ourselves to this Jesus who provides these things. Because the fact of the matter is your heart will pursue something. Your heart is going to go after something. Your heart is going to find its rest in something. And what Paul says here is the way to flee your heart resting in money is to pursue by believing, by taking Jesus at his word, these things that he provides for you, right? And so by, by fighting the good fight of faith, of the faith, that means by faith, by believing, we cry out to God, as Kevin mentioned earlier, to give us the faith, to take him at his word, that, that he is giving us these things, that he has done these things for us, that he has provided these things for us, and that he will continue to provide them. So that's the thing that kind of happens to us internally, right? Uh, and that's one of the ways that we flee this. The other way, one of the other ways that we flee it is through the practice of generosity. Verse 18, he says to those of us who are rich, he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, generosity is one of those words that is profound and uh, amazingly uh, uh, frustrating because what is generosity? What does it mean to be generous? Well, I think in this context, what it means is the trust that I have that God will provide for me, that he's provided for me everything that I need spiritually, that he provides for me life and health and strength, that he provides for me my daily bread, that he provides for me my clothes, that he provides for me in these ways. Because of that, because of that, I can then uh, uh, in turn uh, entrust myself to him and be a conduit of his generosity into the lives, into the needs of others, right? I, I have done premarital counseling with folks for, uh, well, for 30-something years. And um, uh, one of the things that we I always challenge couples, young couples to do, I've done this for all these years, is uh, to practice uh, giving, to practice generosity. Um, and it's getting harder and harder for people to do that. Uh, uh, younger couples today come with a lot of debt. Part of that's school debt. Part of that's Amazon. <laughs> Frankly, the readily available one-click 
thing and the little blue truck or white truck pulls up in front of your house within five minutes and that thing you bought, there it is. It's amazing. It's sickening. It's scary. I, I got to say, I know I'm an old man, but something about that reminds me of the Jetsons. <laughs> and if you're thinking, what are, well, you know, I know what an old man is. What are the Jetsons? Well, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome to my world, right? It just, it just doesn't feel right to me. There's, there, there's something about that that I think is, is not good. I don't know exactly what it is, but on the other hand, it's good to be able to get stuff when you need it. I, I'll never forget, Ann Long got a bunch of bananas delivered here one, one day, along with some bug spray, right? Um, how great was that? So anyway, uh, the fact is, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, it's, it's hard to do that. But I, I, I think it's worth our while, worth your while, even, even if you think you can't do anything, give a dollar a week. Find a dollar, give it away. Find a dollar, give it away. And you're thinking, well, that isn't going to do anybody any good. Oh, it's going to do you a world of good. Um, it is a, it's hard to practice generosity because we think, we look and we think all the resources I have are this number that I have in my bank account. When the Bible says to us that you have been richly blessed, that Jesus Christ, yet though he was rich, by becoming poor, made you rich. That he has blessed you and therefore you can trust yourself and entrust yourself into his hands, right? Kevin DeYoung says this about uh, generosity. So the opposite of the love of money is generosity. I would change that. I would say the opposite of the love of money is uh, uh, gospel-generated, grace-generated generosity. So instead of hoarding our money, we hand it over. Instead of building bigger barns, we nurture bigger hearts. Instead of looking to take, we seek to give. We who have been given everything, life, food, family, freedom, new birth, forgiveness, redemption, the Holy Spirit, the promise of an unimaginable inheritance, surely ought to give something to those who need our help. Gospel people know that to whom much is given, much is expected. When I was in seminary, and Marty and I were there in uh, Mississippi, we were poor. Uh, we didn't, I didn't think we were poor, but we were, we were poor. And uh, one of the ways that uh, she worked two jobs, I worked uh, a couple of jobs, and uh, it was, you know, we were scraping it together month to month. But I thought we were doing okay, and then I found out we were actually in trouble. We were actually a little behind on our our uh, tuition bill, and uh, uh, I uh, I cannot ask, I could not ask my family for money because I not because, well, I'm just too proud pride prideful to do that. Um, and so I didn't know really what we were going to do about that. And I was scared to death that, you know, I was, and, and, and I thought we might have to drop out of school. So the next day I got called to an office in the, in the business, uh, section of the seminary, which, you know, that's like getting called to the principal's office. Oh, great. You know, this is going to be awesome. 
And uh, the lady there says, hey, uh, there's a church in Delhi, Louisiana. That's Delhi to you, D-E-L-H-I. Delhi, Louisiana, Hoppin' Place. And uh, their ministry is to give money to the seminary to support people like you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And so uh, from here on out, while you're here, they're going to take care of uh, your shortfall. Uh, and the guy would come and take me to lunch once a year. Uh, great guy. Uh, and, and the first time he took me to lunch, I, I, I didn't know, like, should I, should I polish his shoes? Should I, uh, should I wash his car? Should I, you know, it was, uh, it, it, you know, did I ever know anybody from Delhi, Louisiana? No. But I learned something from that. And what I learned from that is that God's not magic. He's not a wizard. He's not a, because I can't say, you know, I prayed a magical prayer or did a magical thing in the 24 hours between when I thought I was going to have to <laughs> move out of my house and find a job. Uh, but God in his grace provided what we needed. Now, why did he do that? So I could get here today? Maybe. But I think he did that so that every other time in my life where I would think God has left me, he's not providing for me, I could say, well, that day, that time, God gave us what we needed. Has he changed? Has he changed? Right? Next slide. So, and then the third thing that he wants us to do here is to ask Jesus to help us to see properly, right? Um, I think it is, it is, it is terribly hard for us to be able to see proper, properly because I think, uh, this dr driving desire for, uh, uh, hoarding and holding on to these things, the, the the coveting that we do is such an overwhelming thing uh, that it becomes bigger to us than Jesus. Paul says in Philippians, like I said, he struggled with this, right? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Next slide, please, Liz. So I think that is a pretty powerful thing for us, right? I, that, I think that's the secret to life, and I think that's the thing that he's getting here. Because here's the thing. I know plenty of people, uh, myself included, who covet uh, uh, money, who covet respect, who covet... Uh, all of those things. And when we get a little bit of that, we're really happy. And when we do that, when we get a little bit of that, that becomes such an overwhelming thing to us that what happens to us is I've quit counting it as rubbish. Everything, everything, every good thing, every good thing that might tempt you, that might seem to you to be bigger Better 
than being known by Christ and knowing him. It's garbage and less than garbage. And until Jesus changes me so that I can affirm that and so I can see that, I will be tempted and overwhelmed so much by my coveting desires, my unbridled uh, seeking after contentment in things other than what Christ has done for me. So this was the secret that Paul knew, the greatness of all that God was for him in Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus compared to him, everything, all money and moral achievements, all of the things that he had done were rubbish. And so uh, I, I want to I finish up today just with a little bit of advice from the Proverbs, uh, which are which is uh, a good place if you ever want to think about just kind of practical ways to think about money, just seek money and riches and that kind of stuff, words about that in the Proverbs. And there's, there's a lot of great stuff, but Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9, uh, it would be a great prayer for us, right? Two things I ask of you, we're asking of the Lord, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. That would be really good for all of us. And then give me neither poverty nor riches. And I, that, that, that verse struck me that there's a lot of churches in America where you couldn't read that verse. Right? Because uh, you, you don't want to, you know, that the church is built on that God's going to give us riches, right? But give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Um, what, what a great uh, place for us to kind of ask God uh, to do that work for us. And maybe you can't ask God to not give you poverty or to give you riches, but you should ask God to change you enough to be able to ask him not to give you riches or not to give you poverty, right? The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the 12, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Hear our words and our groanings, O Lord. Give attention to our cry for mercy. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. You abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful. Forgive us, good Lord. We have sinned against you and our neighbor. We have sought to justify ourselves before you. We have attempted to atone for our own sins and punish the sins of others. And so we have boasted in sin and self. By your mercy alone, by the abundance of your steadfast love, 
May we enter your house. Because of your son, O Lord, let us find refuge in you. Take away our sins and let us ever sing for joy. Cover us with your favor as with a shield. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Every time you eat this bread and you drink this uh, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death, and by proclaiming the Lord's death, you proclaim your own death, death to coveting, death to sin, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is I am rem- Jesus gives us this today to certainly remind us of his atoning work for us, to remind us of his grace and his mercy, his provision of his righteousness and, and his blood to cover us. But we are also reminded today that these things that seem so overwhelming to us, coveting, unfulfilled desires, uh, when Jesus died and killed those things, He killed them in and with us as well. Now, though we still struggle and we will struggle till glory with those things, the fact is we need to remember that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, that we have died with him, and that now we have risen again to newness of life. And by eating this bread and drinking this cup, I am asking Jesus to help me, strengthen me, encourage me, and enable me to take him at his word and find my true joy and contentment in him. Maybe today you are struck by how you have found your contentment and many other things. And many of you have been wildly successful in life and you have every reason really in many ways, in some ways of speaking, to be content with where you are. Don't let that blind you or lie to you. Only true contentment is found in the work of Christ, his provision for you. That's true of you today. That's your hope, even if you struggle. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you today to be renewed and reminded again uh, uh, that uh, your life, your wealth, and your health is found only in him. 
as the elders and deacons come down front uh, to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.